welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Josh Dirksen, a game developer, graphic designer, and co-owner of Lindander Studios. Although he has worked on too many licenses to mention, he may be best known for his free, unofficial cooperative campaign expansion for X-Wing Miniatures. Josh, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Hey, James. It's good to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. We were uh, catching up at Breakout Con in Toronto, and that's where we got to yeah, uh, we kind of got to meet and chat a little bit. And uh, we're talking a little bit yeah. about Snapships, which is the project that you're part of as well. So congrats on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that campaign, I'll just say really quickly for people listening. Uh, I think you're at, I think I wrote down like $283,000 in funding so far, over 1,100 backers. It oh, is it incredible. sounds so much more impressive in Canadian. Of course, it always sounds bigger in Canadian dollars, <laughs> right? And uh, it has got 70 hours still to go. So now you're going into the back end hockey stick. So definitely, yep. most definitely, you'll go over the 300,000 mark. How far over? I guess keep our fingers crossed. I guess we'll see. But just want to we'll see. We we got we got a couple of uh, a couple of exciting things left to unveil as well. So ah. it's going to be an exciting kind of uh, last 72, 48 hours. We'll we'll see what happens. I'm excited. Yeah. This some more is uh, yeah. Snapships is a uh, an interesting one for me because it's in a lot of ways, it is a game that I have wanted to make for a very long time. Um, and when I met the inventors of Snapships, we were actually comparing notes about who came up with like modular spaceship concepts and what sorts of stuff. And like the totally just kindred spirits and we hit it off right away. Um, I got the toy in 2020 when it came out, mm-hmm. built some stuff, tagged them on Instagram and we just went from there. That's crazy um, how these things come together sometimes, eh? Yeah, it was weird. It turned out like we pitched them a few different ideas for board games because I told them, of course, like, yeah, I've built some awesome models with your stuff, but I'm actually a game developer. And they were like, well, it's funny because we started off trying to make a game for Snapships uh, and got so into the weeds with the toy that we just set it aside. But if somehow in the small world and we found each other. Oh, that's amazing. And, and, and now we're here and we've, we've got it on Kickstarter. And yeah, I couldn't be happier. It's a sweet game. Uh, when I was sitting in your intro, too many titles to mention. Uh, I wasn't kidding. I mean, I'm going to say some of them here. We've got, gosh, we got Buffy the Vampire Slayer board game, Cowboy Bebop, Dragon Ball Z board game, uh, yep. Evil Dead 2, Gemini Gauntlets, Legacy of Mana, Star Trek Alliance, Shadowrun, Sprawl Ops, Terminator Genesis. I mean, you've yeah. done <laughs> a lot. Right. And you were just saying before you went on air six years, what shocked me that you've only been in the industry for six years. Um, yeah. It's been a busy six years. You, you've cranked out a lot. So how did you, how did you even get into this industry? Like where did this all kind of begin for you? Uh, so the origin story of Lindander studios is actually not my story to tell. That's my business partner, Tommy. I'm actually a second kind of second wave um, addition to the company. Uh, he started it in 2014 on a dare to make a board game. He was playing a lot of uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill and a lot of Arkham Horror. Yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, I really love Arthurian stuff. Wouldn't it be great if we just had a game that was like this, but Arthurian? And uh, yeah, he just, yeah, they did Albion's Legacy. They put it on Kickstarter. Uh, he will tell you that if you can make a mistake for how to do a game on Kickstarter, he's made it. Um, so lots of things went wrong with Albion's legacy, very first printing, they 
scrapped and reprinted the entire game out of pocket, which was an enormous undertaking. Oh boy. Uh, they got a lot of goodwill from it. They had just kickstarted their second game, Sherwood's Legacy, which was a Robin Hood tie-in. Um, around 2015, I think they kickstarted that one. Yep. Uh, I joined the company in 2016 when Tommy met the owner of Jasco Games, who was like, I have the Buffy license. If you care so much about Albion's, maybe you should work on a license game for me. Um, so he, he landed Buffy, and around the same time, I joined the company as a graphic designer. We actually had five staff back in 2016, uh, a number of young, young wannabe designers, um, great guys. Uh, but I think for a lot of them, it was more than they were really ready to take on at that stage in their lives. And uh, so I came on as graphic designer and was, you know, I was working in software at the time. So uh, I had a really good foundation to kind of launch any kind of board game freelancing off of. Um, and I was just there like part-time kind of doing uh, graphic design and illustration. So uh, Buffy was the first sort of big licensed project I worked on. And my role in that project was like, I did a little bit of game development on it, but largely I was doing user interface and graphic design stuff, which is my main role now at, at Lindander. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of growing pains over a couple of years. Uh, 2016 through 2019 were pretty, pretty rough. Most of the people in the company left. Um, so in 2019, it got down to just basically Tommy and I. And we said, well, we should probably, we both like doing this a lot still. We don't we not, don't quite have enough bandwidth to keep doing this in the capacity we'd like. Um, and then it was amazing. We were, uh, we've been talking to Catalyst Game Labs for a while and uh, got on this whole thing about doing Shadowrun Sprawl Ops with them. They had this wonderful game from a brand new designer uh, unpublished designer Dylan Bertolo at the time. Uh, they it was a great game. It had some problems in the end game. It was a little bit too pusher luck, a little bit too um, punishing in some ways, uh, and it needed desperately needed a user interface pass. But uh, we came on and we did some late stage development at the request of Catalyst. Met Dylan, hit it off right away. Uh, we negotiated with Catalyst to make a co-op version of Shadow and Sprawl Ops, which became a Kickstarter exclusive that we just added in. Oh, cool. Um, and then in the process of testing that, all that content we were doing for Sprawl Ops, um, Dylan tried on my company blazer with the crest on the back. Okay. Just as a joke, it was sitting on a chair in the room and he was like, oh, this looks nice and puts it on. And Tommy looks over from the couch and goes, you know, we we're talking afterwards. This isn't the worst idea. And we hired him like, um, you know, next month, basically. And he's wow. now it's just the three of us. We're just, we're rocking. So you start off with the company that had a number of employees. Then as yep. those employees start to move on to other things and you come on board to basically fill in some of these gaps that are starting to show up in, in the company. And then from there, that evolves into you guys becoming three partners. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. So Buffy did very well for us early on <laughs> and, uh, then it was just like, well, okay, you've done one license game. I guess you can be trusted with another. And it just kind of kept like, oh, if you can do that one, that's a step to get the next one and so that it get the next one and get the next one. So we've worked with probably seven or eight pretty big publishers at this point. We've done work with Jasco. We've done work with Catalyst. We've done work with WizKids. We've done work with Riverhorse. Uh, we're now working with Galeforce 9. They're kind of the main one that we're doing work for at the moment. Um, we just did Doctor Who, Don't Blink, and Pathfinder Level 20 with them. Wow. Uh, which both are great smaller box games. Um, 
and we've got a couple of other projects in the queue from them coming out. Uh, Starfinder Pirates of Skydock was just announced as well, which oh. is a multiplayer heist game set in the Starfinder universe. How do you guys like how how do these for people who are listening and and have no idea how these things come together? Like, is this you guys pitching people at at, at some of the cons? Is it? Oh yeah, them approaching you. Like, I guess now you're probably getting approached more now than you're approaching others per se. But at the beginning, how did yeah. you guys kind of like hustle this up? Is it literally taking an idea to a to a studio saying, "Hey, I oh, think yeah. that we can match these so- things up"? Or- so a lot of the stuff we're working on now probably had a three to four year lead time of building relationships and just just grinding everything. I mean, honestly, we're still doing a lot of uh, sort of daily grind to work on all these projects and still looking for more people to work with and yeah. uh, starting to pivot away from that a little bit now, starting to get into our own publishing uh, stuff because having done so many different licensed games in the last six years... Uh, and having made so many pitches for so many different licensed games, we have a lot of designs we really like that we haven't done anything with. They just, oh, no one wanted that pitch. Okay, well, it's going to live in the binder for a while. Um, and then, you know, every so often you look through that binder and you go, oh, that was a really cool idea. Publisher didn't want it for that license that they're currently holding, but we should do something with that. So we're, we're starting to go back and mine our, our shelf, our back catalog, and starting to kind of dig through those ideas. But when you're when you're in the stage of like, you know, starting out as a developer and you're just working for whichever publisher has yeah. whatever license or you know you'll kind of take anything you can get. I've worked on licenses I love. I've worked on licenses I don't love. It's uh, it's all, everything in between. But ultimately, I think the the most important thing is just like we're really focused on making the best experience we can with whatever license we're working with. We do all the research. We really try and ask what is it that fans like about that licensed property and how can we make a really compelling game that's really accessible for people out of that property? And that's usually where we go. Are you guys doing like focus groups and things like that as well? Or uh, Sometimes, yeah. We've got a pretty decent group of people who are following Linvander Studios now. Um, <laughs> yeah. We also maintain a Discord server with all of our uh, playtesters. We have a pretty decent playtest community now that um, gives us feedback on a lot of these designs. And then of this, of your portfolio, how much of it is having to be brought in to kind of fix kind of a design and and make it work with a property versus coming in fresh with like a completely new design you guys have created? Like what's that balance like? Hmm. So I would describe Linvander Studios as a full service design studio. We've done every part of the process uh, at various points for various clients. Uh, some of our best work has been d- designed from, from ground up. It's, it's much more difficult to take an existing game and adapt yeah. it uh, in some ways because you're, you have a very interesting set of constraints to work with. And sometimes that can be amazing creatively. Uh, but other times it's like, well, this didn't really fit the IP super well in the first place. How do we adapt that? Um, largely, it's been us pitching concepts to publishers because publishers are typically looking for more designs and if they have licenses that's just money sitting burning a hole in their pocket right they've got to pay their their yearly minimums and so on so why not make more properties using the license while they've got it um but other times it's been like oh it would be great if so it's 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 more like your own titles you guys are bringing forward is there ever been one where if someone's approached you to say hey guys like we need your help this can you work with this and 
a time it worked well and a time it did like, is there ever time you're like, guys, there's nothing salvageable here. And has there been other times you were like, Oh yeah, no, we can, this is going to be more of a tweak or. <laughs> yeah. Largely it's been, so we've done everything from initial concept through early, you know, initial design. Uh, we've done the play testing, the development, the graphic design, because we'll do all of that in house. If yeah. we need illustration, we'll hire out freelance artists for that. Um, cause we are a small team. Um, but then basically our, our process generally stops when we do everything up to manufacturing files and we just send you everything and we say, give this to the Chinese printer of your choice and press go. Wow. If you'd like us to look over proofs and make sure that it's all trans, it's all, you know, it's all come out well on the other end, we're happy to do that too. Cause you know, it's our project. We want to see it succeed. Um, but we've done some projects, we've done all of those steps, some projects we've done some, but not others. It really depends on uh, the publisher's vision in most cases. And there's also been times where we've worked directly with licensors themselves to bring stuff onto the market, right? Which is how Snapships is a thing now. Yeah. So sometimes you'll see a license that maybe hasn't even thought about doing a board game and you'll approach them and say, hey guys, like we, we got yep. an idea on how we can take this license. What's an example of that where you've done that? Uh, so Snapships is obviously like, we did that with them. Um, yeah. We kind of discovered after the fact, actually, that they had a board game in mind. But <laughs> other stuff that was like that, we did we did a bunch of work with Dynamite Comics um, mm. back in 2018. We did Reanimator uh, board game with them based on their comic book uh, adaptation. And we also did a Red Sonja board game with them. And actually, that one is has some crossover content with uh, Albion's Legacy, which is kind of fun. It's in the same kind of uh, game system universe. So that's one where they, they actually, Dynamite discovered us. We didn't discover them. They discovered us, saw that we'd done some, some decent games on Kickstarter, and they were like, oh, these guys have made a bunch of products that are kind of like what we think we might like. Mm-hmm. Let's see if they're available and we'll, we'll do a board game for us. And they had some ideas about like, oh, we want, you know, we want to do a Red Sonja adventure game. We don't want to do a card game. We don't want to do a game that's like full of miniatures, but we want to really get into the um, the, the, you know, exploring that world in yeah. a, a kind of boxed experience. So we agreed on like, okay, well, what's the best price point that that's going to work for you? How big a game should it be? All this stuff. And then we basically just built it to spec at that point. We came up with some concepts for how to make that game, pitched it to them. They were into it and, and there we are. I can imagine as a design studio, because the incubation period is so long, right? From when you start a project till when it's finally at the door, yeah. um, you must have to have a lot of stuff going at the same time, right? And different stages oh, so that from yeah. a monetary level, <laughs> there's always income kind of coming in to feed the engine, so to speak, right? Uh, it's, yeah. Despite our best efforts to to do that, I would describe it as a, a business model that is very feast and famine. You get <laughs> projects that, well, here's the thing, like any licensed game yeah. um, is just, there, there are all kinds of levels of approvals. There are all kinds of levels of, there's, there's so many more people that need to sign off on a thing, right? When it's a licensed property. It's for us, we're the design studio being hired by the publisher who also has to talk to the licensor so there's actually two separate parties that we have to interface with beyond just like, if we're designing a game ourselves, we just make it, send it to China. But there's yeah. actually three parties that have to coordinate what they're doing in this relationship. And if any of them run into snags at any point, that project can be delayed for who knows how long. 
Got right. It. So you, you do just, just on the sheer statistics of that, you need to have a bunch of things going at any given time that you'll anticipate one to two of them to be stuck at some stage waiting on something or other, waiting on someone or other, um, that you just need to have those, all those kind of channels going and be able to switch between them. So it can be really stressful that way, yeah. but it can also be really invigorating because you're like, oh, I got four awesome games I want to work on. Which one do I need to work on right now? Because that's the one that's not blocked. I guess when you're talking about your desire as a company potentially to gravitate towards now, even doing some of your own titles and and, and self-publishing yeah. some of your own titles where you're not partnering up with some of these companies. On mm-hmm. one side, when you have the 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 licensee you're working with, it's on their dime, right? So they they absorb a lot of the risk, so to speak. Um, yep. but on the other hand, as you said, there with all the approvals and so forth, the incubation time could be a lot longer than, you know, doing your own game, which is going to be self-funded, yep. but obviously with Kickstarter that helps with cover law, the, the self-funding, but there's still development and so forth goes into that, mm-hmm. but you can crank those out much faster, right? Because you, you know what you're, you have, and it's just getting it skinned, writing, kind of getting it out the door. Um, yeah, for sure. So I can see how maybe doing both as a business model is going to probably help you guys uh, kind of balance things, so to speak, right? That's that's really the the writing on the wall that we saw, yeah. um, especially come 2020 when we entered lockdown. Like yeah. it was an extremely, the first kind of eight months of lockdown where no one really knew how long it was going to last. Uh, all the clients we were working for that we had projects on, on the go, basically, were like, uh, okay, I don't maybe just pause that right now we don't know when we'll ship it so we don't know when we'll start selling it so it doesn't hurt it doesn't help them like they can't you know guarantee their finances to make it a good move for them so a lot of those projects got just got paused um and then all the various relationships we you know at any given time we might be talking to three or four other clients and figuring out what might be coming down the pipe next um all of those were like okay well that's all that's all gone too, because they don't want to do anything right now either. They don't know what's, what's going to happen. So 2020, March, 2020 was like a giant reset button for all of us in our company. Like everything we were working on was just like, Nope, that's paused. Uh, What do we do? And uh, we really just took that opportunity to look back at our shelf of pitch designs and look back at games that we had worked on that we had never published or found homes for some of them we had pitched and, publishers kind of like them but never really found a good place and we just took a few of those games and said you know what we know enough now about how all of these publishers are doing their various printing logistical marketing all of those steps we should just do that ourselves even if it's a small time focus for now just because we like these games and we want to see them out there but also because we've got nothing better to do right now so like you know why not and even um, still, I'm thinking like a, even if it's not a you know million dollar campaign, even if you're in the six figures, because you control everything, your profitability still mm-hmm. might be higher, right? And I, you don't even need you don't even need a six figure Kickstarter campaign yeah. to make a little bit of money. Like we published a, it's actually just finished coming out of the printers. We printed it locally in Guelph, Ontario. Mm. Actually, wow. Um, our Legacy of Mana role playing game setting guide. It's a 300 page setting guide for fifth edition. Um, it's a brand new setting with a whole bunch of new mechanics for time travel and some other cool stuff. We've got that anti-magic cool. and, and time travel. Uh, that's a project that we put on Kickstarter. It funded decently well. I think it did 60 or 70,000, something like yeah. that. Like 
printing locally in Canada meant we didn't have to pay ocean freight, which is fantastic. Obviously, the cost of manufacturing is a lot higher, um, but even still, the the turnaround time is just incredibly fast because you're not waiting yeah. 60 days plus unknown delay for ocean freight, right? Yeah. Don't have to deal with customs. So, you know, that's a that's a great little project. You know, it doesn't have to be amazing. And it's a setting that we've been consistently running content for at Origins and Gen Con now and does very, very well at those cons. It has a pretty dedicated little following. It's interesting to see industries pivot, right? So as you're just describing now, you know, your company pivoting mm-hmm. and even outside the board game industry, I, I think most industries have had to pivot, right? With, uh, with COVID. I would think. But even if you look at this one, like I'm, I'm seeing more uh, print and play campaigns. Right, occurring like yeah. with the, the the freights going through the going through the roof, people are looking at the model and and rerunning the math, right, and saying, okay, wait a second here. Your example is a, is a great one of that. You know, yes, my printing yeah. cost per unit is going to be way higher, but once I put into my ocean freight and work all that into customers and so forth, I mean, I'm actually at a, a cheaper cost, right? Um, mm-hmm. You're seeing, uh, you know, digital people doing Kickstarter with digital assets where there is no physical stuff. Right. Yeah. It's just essentially your intellect and your time that that you're that you're you're charging out for. But again, ability to make a lot more profit. Maybe not a larger as large of a campaign, but when you have no cost going into that campaign other than time and uh, and your uh, your know how, you know mm-hmm. the, the master is looking very very favorable. It's interesting. I also see yeah along the same vein. Actually, I see a lot of campaigns now for three D printable stuff. Right, terrain yeah. figures, all of that. Because that's again just entirely digital assets. You just sculpt and creative output and deliver, right? Optimized for three D printing. Yeah, we had on. I can't remember her name now. Um, she does three D printed towers, and her okay. whole thing is she creates towers uh, without the supports, right? So you can print the tower mm-hmm. with with no supports, no having to trim or anything. Yeah. And the Kickstarters are just for digital files, right? So you're just buying the mm-hmm. the, the license digital file, and those campaigns are in the six figures. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. Lots of, as it turns out, lots of people on 3d printers. Now there's yeah. a real scene for it. I mean, we are giving away some STL files for uh, prototype snapships parts on our Kickstarter because that's awesome. we got those files and otherwise they're just gathering dust somewhere metaphorically. We, I did that on a prior campaign where, um, a nice girls, yogurt forest, right? We, one of the objectives we were originally going to do was minis and then we end up just mm-hmm. cutting it. Cause we're like, what are we doing? Why are we creating minis for a game? That's a casual game. People are getting right. this for the minis, they're getting it for the game, but we had already created all the files. So we end up just okay. giving them out for people to print their own 3D models if they want to have their characters be the actual 3D characters of those cartoon sure. squirrels, they could. So yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's it, it's it's a cool way, even if you have stretch goals and maybe you have an intention to do certain things where you're going to have different models and so forth in the game and it turns out you don't hit those levels, well, then you can still provide those files to people maybe to do. Yeah, because your, your sculpting is a sunk cost at that point. Yeah. You know, you paid a few hundred bucks to have that figure sculpted. Yep. That's just a loss. So why not get some goodwill out of it for sure? Yeah, exactly. Your co-op of this X-Wing that, you, that you're known for, what got you to think, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create my own co-op version. I'm going to put it there for free. Like what, what, uh, what made that happen? Yeah, that, that's a wild ride. So uh i've played a lot of collectible and constructible miniatures games um some of them competitively i played star wars miniatures starting in like 2004 2005 when it was brand new from wizards of the coast i played monster apocalypse competitively for a while um i've played a lot of them but there's always that moment in the the lifetime of a collectible or expandable game where 
the player base for it dries up and people move on. And I was so enamored with X-Wing. I'd played a few hundred games of it at that point. Yeah. Um, I was so enamored with first edition X-Wing that I was just like, you know, it'd be really great if this could just become a boxed board game that I could take off the shelf in the future, not necessarily have to worry about having like dedicated X-Wing players who know every card to be able to play against. Um, it would be great if you could have a, an automated opponent. And around the same time, a friend of mine uh, ran a, a local website for our, our, our X-Wing club, basically. And he was talking about making a campaign to put up on there as a free download. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. He showed me his draft. I wasn't terribly impressed. I was like, you got some good ideas here, but like nobody's going to want to play the Imperial player if, the, if all the shine of the campaign is to be rebels. But I took this idea and I ran with it and I said, well, how hard could it be to automate the Imperial ships and be able to play that cooperatively? Um, turns out uh, players make some highly optimized decisions in X-Wing, which are kind of difficult to model. Mm. But if you find a way to bake all that complexity down into something a human can read easily, actually you can get them to be pretty good. So Heroes started off as an AI thing first. Uh, we made this just basically AI opponent that's, um, this is the book here actually, there's an AI opponent that's just got this little card thing that it runs off of. Uh, and it's just literally, I'll show you the card because it's kind of fancy. There's a picture of the card. It's just got this little card that's like a chart of all the maneuvers it can do. Okay, cool. And uh, turned out to be extremely easy to operate. So uh, Heroes was just like, okay, well, if we've got this, um, let's put a light RPG system on top of it and make some scenarios. Uh, there's 15 scenarios in that book. And you could literally, you're a squadron of rebel pilots reliving the movies. You're splashing TIE fighters left and right and leveling up and getting to be like, you know, your own personal Wedge Antilles, Luke Skywalker, ace pilot. Um, and it turned out to be extremely popular. Um, I put it up on our, our club's website and it was all over Reddit and BoardGameGeek and everywhere in a couple of days. It's had tens of thousands of downloads. Uh, I know it's been translated into a bunch of languages. People always were asking me like, oh, can I put it in French or whatever? I'm like, yeah, do, do whatever you want. This is my gift to the community because uh, I enjoy X-Wing so much. Oh yeah. Um, FFG never knew what to do with it. Uh, I did show it to their developers at the time, Alex Davey and, and some of the other people at FFG, but that's not how FFG, FFG operates as a company. Mm. They, they don't really, they don't really do outside submission. They kind of come up with their concepts internally and then just develop them. Yeah. Uh, so they, they didn't slap sure you with a cease and desist or anything like that. <laughs> oh no, no. Well, was, I wasn't making any money off of it. It was all free. Yeah. Just download this PDF. Here you go. And quite frankly, extends the life of their game too, right? So that's not Oh yeah, thing. oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, they didn't really know what to do with it and didn't want to touch it, but uh, WizKids did. So then we made Star Trek <laughs> Alliance based off of uh, Star Trek Attack Wing. Yeah. That project was four years in the making. Wow. I pitched it to them at Origins in 2016, actually. The first year I was with Linvander, we were showing them two other games, um, both of which they have since passed on. Uh, but we showed them two other games in this, this meeting. And at the end of it... Um, Tommy asked them if they would be interested in a cooperative version of a tackling. And uh, they said it couldn't be done. And then we just said, well, actually it has been done for X-Wing. Uh, you know, we've, we've done this. Um, would you be interested? And it went from there. They had a lot of problems with uh, their own supply line and manufacturing, getting tooling moved around and stuff. So it was delayed yeah. quite a lot. Came out finally in 2020. 
or 2019, somewhere in there. Um, and yeah, now there are two more on the way. So two more box sets for attacking. So if you like the concept of Heroes of the Atari Cluster, but owning a massive X-Men collection is daunting for you, um, you can buy a starter set box, you know, 40, 40 or $50 purchase that is just the ships you need to play two-player co-op flight yeah. path and play Star Trek. That's crazy. It's so it, cool it crazy. To, to see an idea go viral and then that then be used as a base of credibility for future projects that you're, that you're pitching, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, well, part of, well, part of the, the amazingness of Snapships was actually that they, when they learned that I had done heroes of the Atari cluster, they, they looked me up. They're like, Oh, so not only has this guy built Snapships, but he's also played a ton of X-Wing and we, we were thinking about doing an X-Wing style game. Yeah. Like some of the freeform movement template type stuff. Um, somehow he's just the right guy like it's just weird yeah it just goes to show right if you have creativity you put it out there and you never know what could come back right and it's it's sometimes putting things out without the expectation of something coming back when you you get the most benefit oh yeah right yep yeah i never really thought of heroes of the atari cluster as being like a calling card slash portfolio piece to get into the industry but in retrospect it kind of was um, certainly it taught me a lot of stuff about how to lay out files, like a big part of, <laughs> I, like I was doing web work at the time, uh, in software. So I wasn't doing much print layout heroes was almost a way for me to teach myself like Adobe InDesign and learn how to actually oh, lay wow. out stuff for print properly. Um, data merging and all of that stuff. And now that's just standard for doing any kind of prototyping. Yeah. I finally, finally caved on, um, cause I knew a little bit about InDesign. I use mainly illustrator and Photoshop. And, uh, but I had read somewhere that if you're not using InDesign to do your cards, mm-hmm. you're crazy, right? Especially if you have like <laughs> yep. a, a thick deck where you have different elements or combinations and permutations mm-hmm. of each other. I mean, data merge does all the heavy lifting for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, right. Like, so we have, like, yeah, we've got, let's see. I think we've now used that process on probably 15 different games. Yeah. Snapships alone has uh i don't know a couple hundred cards and i'm sure there'll be hundreds more those are all a hundred column wide spreadsheet that's just yeah. all data merged everything is templated so it's yeah, yeah. i find with playtest i mean obviously you can use um um you know the the steam uh games you know mm-hmm. tabletop simulator things like that for uh, prototyping yeah. but if you're doing physical prototypes which i like to bring to game night because people are very tactile they like to you know hold cards and so forth um, mm-hmm. you take your feedback, I go home, I change the spreadsheet yep. and hit print and bang, you know, it printed all my new cards and I resleeve them. So, uh, you still can't get for away sure. from automating that cutting yet. I wish I had some kind of a punch or something I could use for that, but, um, it's still, uh, still pretty handy. So, so what, what's next uh-huh. for you guys? Like, so, I mean, you've obviously got a lot of projects underway. I know you're going to Gen Con up and coming. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what you guys are going to be you know, profiling at Gen Con or kind of what's yeah, next so, for you guys? Uh, yeah, so Snapships Tactics Kickstarter will be ending soon. We'll be taking late pledges at Gen Con, I suspect. Mm. Um, we've also got the first two projects that were born out of our 2020 uh, adventures. Um, so the first is a game that's actually near and dear to me. This is a design I started quite some time ago called Gemini Gauntlet. Oh, cool. It is a asteroid, space asteroid racing game. It's like six players, 
uh, two to six players simultaneous play largely. So it's pretty fast and it's a racing game. Um, that's near and dear to me. Our Legacy of Mana setting guide is also going to be for sale at Gen Con. Um, and then the third one that's kind of coming out later this year, it's in manufacturing right now, is Minotaur. This oh, is a cool. small box game we had on uh, GameFound. That's uh, it's a nice little tight co-op with an 8-bit sort of ancient Greek art style. It's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's an original design by, uh, it's actually a design we didn't do in-house. That's the first time we've ever published someone else's design. We liked it so much. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, we signed oh, it. We signed another designer and, and published their game. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Who knows? It was really <laughs> just an experiment to see what it would be like. And yeah well and that's what you gotta do right you gotta you gotta try different things you gotta mm -hmm. you know test i mean uh, i've tried to do as much as i can game found kickstarter using yeah. different types of uh pledge managers different types of social media uh amplification companies you know trying as many different things as i can you know and if I, mm -hmm. as long as i can kind of break even i'm i'm happy because then i can walk away with the learning right and yeah absolutely you know the hope is if you can do enough of those iterations eventually you'll get to kind of a formula that that kind of works for you as a company right mm -hmm. yeah definitely well josh i want to wish you all the best on uh, this coming year congrats again on snapships i mean you guys have just got Thank me tickled you. pink and uh, we'll get you back on the podcast to talk about the next, uh, maybe the next title you guys self-publish. We'll get you back on the podcast and chat about that. Sounds good. It's been right, a pleasure. Man. Thank you, James. Take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.